We're going to read from uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, and we're going to be going into the third chapter. So 1 John, and this is the passage we'll be looking at a bit later on. And now little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he who is manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Uh, let's uh, look at God's word now. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at a number of ideas that we find in the Bible that sound totally contradictory. And if you haven't been here the last few weeks, it doesn't matter because they all stand alone as well. Uh, in the first week, we looked at losing is winning, that we only gain everything by seeing that even winning this whole world is of no value if we lose our souls in the process, only through trusting and believing in the Lord Jesus and dying to ourselves daily and rising with him can we truly win. We saw as well that slavery is freedom, that there are only two masters. We can be slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness, and there's no in-between. But if we're slaves to God, then he is a good master who not only saves us, but transforms us to be more like him. And then a couple of weeks ago, we saw how our weakness is strength. No matter what battles we face, whether uh, physical or spiritual or mental, whatever it might be, we know that through Christ, our weaknesses can be perfected. We can be made strong. We can do amazing things through and for Christ. All because for our sake, the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world and took on weakness by becoming a man. And with all of these ideas, we've had to reorient our vision from how the world sees things to how Jesus does. And the last of these upside down ideas that I want to look at is called already but not yet already but not yet and we see while Jesus work is complete 
and is final, we haven't yet seen the full implications of that. Yes, we've seen some of the wonderful privileges that we have as Christians, but we are yet to experience them fully. Uh, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. So how can this be? So if you're making notes or if you want to follow along and know where we're going, this is the roadmap for this morning. We're going to look at how can we be living in this sort of tension of already and not yet. Secondly, how is this good news for today? And thirdly, how are we to live in response? Uh, so how can we be living in this sort of tension firstly? Well, let me uh, repeat to you an, an analogy that I found helpful uh, that I've read. Um, on May the 8th, 1945, there was dancing in the streets of Europe and there were celebrations around the world. It wasn't Comet Relief. It was the end of the Second World War and uh, Nazi Germany had surrendered and they called it VE Day. There was finally victory in Europe. But the events which had led to VE Day had begun a year earlier when the operation called D-Day was launched on June the 6th, 1944 and the Allies landed on the beaches of Normandy, and they retook the lands that had been taken by the Nazis. And this theologian in, in 1950, it was, called Os Kuhlmann, he was the first to make this comparison between D-Day and V-Day, and the experience that we have as Christians. He said that the, the second coming of Christ to earth, which is yet to happen, where we will finally be made like him, that can be likened to VE Day. While his first coming, the one that we read about in the Gospels, that can be likened to D-Day. You see, when Jesus came the first time, he assured the world that the works of the devil were being undone and its ugly influence was on the retreat. In 1 John 3, we read, didn't we? He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And yet we still see the effects of sin, don't we, daily. And it feels as if this battle is, is raging. And it was the same in World War II. Between the D-Day assault and VE Day, the Allied soldiers were still having to fight. They were retaking lost territory and reclaiming land from the enemy. They were making gains. And yes, it's the same because Jesus had the victory at Calvary. But until he comes again, we as Christians are his foot soldiers, reclaiming territory from the enemy, making his name known and letting people know that the victory has been won. So here is Christians today. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are living between the times. You're living between the already and the not yet. We are already seeing the effects of what Jesus has done, but we have not yet experienced the full implications. We are living 
in the light of the fact that Jesus has already brought his kingdom near by, by coming into the world. He's lived a perfect life where he's displayed glimpses of the future to come when he ruled, uh, when he will rule. And he's uh, spoken marvelous things and he's done marvelous things. And then he died that death on the cross, the death that we deserve. And then in, in rising again, he showed that he is triumphant over death. And then he returned to the father's right hand. And that's where he waits until he will come again to judge the world. And until he returns or we go to be with him, we're going to be pilgrims looking for a home. We are citizens, not of this earth, but of a better city. And we've begun to feel the effects of what Christ has done, but we're yet to see them in full. So there is a tension, which means that we both have a wonderful present, but an even more glorious future to come. And the Bible speaks of both those things being true at the same time. In Romans 8, we read this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's been achieved for now. Our sins have been dealt with once and for all. There's nothing that we have to fear. Christ has stood in our place. And so there's no accusation that the devil can make in order to hurt us or condemn us. And yet, because we're in this, this not yet phase, Paul can also say in his letter to the Galatians, through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So there's a tension. We've got many things that we can enjoy now, but that we're also waiting for something better to come. So secondly, how is this good news for now then? Because if we talked about all these amazing things to come, how is it good news for now? And some people used to mock and still do mock Christianity as, as this. And there was a song uh, written uh, over 100 years ago that used to mock Christians. It used to say, you work and pray and live on hay because you'll get pie in the sky when you die. They were saying that the preachers of the world were distracting people from the misery of their lives by just promising them something better to come. And there is something better to come. But in actual fact, life with Jesus is good news now and even better news later. When we get to grips with the fact that we as believers are living between the already and the not yet, we will see that Christianity is not just a means of getting through a miserable life. It's not a coping mechanism for when things are too difficult. And we, we can think to ourselves sometimes, can't we? I'm missing out on all the fun that everyone else is enjoying. I'm being mocked for my faith at school. I'm the butt of everyone's joke at work. I can't I get the promotions that other people seem to get. But don't worry, you say to yourself, because heaven will make it everything worth it. Life is rubbish now, but heaven will make it all worth it. And we can be guilty of thinking like this. But that is missing the point that life with Jesus is good now as well. It's good news for now and even better news later. And yes, every believer knows that something better is coming and that the Christian life is, is filled with difficulty. But the Bible doesn't teach us that life with Jesus is bad news now and good news later. There are some wonderful things that we know, wonderful privileges that we have. 
We don't have to wait for when we die and when Jesus returns to experience them. And if you're not a Christian here today, these are some of the things that you are missing out on. Some of the things that we have or discover when we meet with Jesus. We know that we have been chosen before the beginning of the world. Before you've even heard about Jesus, before you were even born or your grandparents were born, before this world had even come into existence, Jesus knew who you were. God knew everything about you and loved you. And you were known and chosen and loved. If you're a believer today, your sins have been dealt with. The punishment that, that we ought to face for the many things that we have done wrong. For every offence, big or small, for every sin, past, present and future, for every sin, known and unknown, Jesus has said, that was me. I'm taking these upon myself. This person can go free. You've also been set apart. God has considered us holy. And that is not dependent on your performance with how you are doing that week, how many times you've read the Bible this week, how many people you've spoken to about Jesus this week. That is not what it's dependent upon. It's dependent on what Jesus has achieved. And so he sees, you as, sees us as holy. We've been given the means to speak to God openly and freely through prayer. We've, we've prayed a number of times in this service. And when we do that, it's not just me leading our thoughts and helping us to, to, to meditate uh, to ourselves so that we feel better. When I pray here, and when you pray at home or in this building, wherever you may be, you are speaking to the living God. Day or night, we can praise him. We can ask him about something. We can cast our cares upon him. We can speak to him about our concerns. That happens now. We don't have to wait for that privilege. We've been given the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left the disciples, he said, there's something better coming. And that's true for us too. We don't have to know a, a physical Jesus stood next to us because we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who is working in us and through us to make us more like him. We're united to Christ. That happens straight away when you become a believer. In everything that you do, you are connected to Jesus. We died with him. That's what is, uh, is symbolized in baptism. We die with him and therefore we will live with him. God sees us as he sees Jesus. And we abide in him and in him are his strength and life and joy. And we've been adopted by the father. We're not only believers, although we believe, we're not only servants, although we serve, but we are sons and daughters. We are part of God's family. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ that we look forward to seeing each Sunday. And we've got a father, best of all, who cares for our every need. We read those wonderful words in 1 John, didn't we? Behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now 
we are children of God. Not later, when you get to heaven, when you get to be with Jesus. Now, we are children of God. These are present tense statements from John. We don't have to wait for these amazing things to be realized. They are to be enjoyed today. Having said that, there's also so much more to come. So finally, let us see that in light of our good news, there's a glorious future. So how are we to live today? How are we supposed to live today? Uh, the verses carry on, don't they, in John's gospel. In John's letter, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God. He says that. And has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be like Jesus, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Uh, he's saying, because of what God has done in our lives, and in light of the future that awaits us, there are implications for today. We ought to live a certain way. Not because this way of living is what makes us favorable to God. This doesn't earn God's love if we're good people. No, because of God's love, we want to live in this way. Do you remember having to study grammar at school? There's grammar schools and all they teach all the time is grammar. It sounds horrible to me, but um, if you were in, should have been in primary school, I think you would have learned this. You learned the difference between indicatives and imperatives. Um, indicatives and imperatives. And I'll fill you in if you're thinking, I don't remember doing that. Um, I sh or maybe you're thinking, I should have really listened. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm so glad I listened. This is finally coming to use. Indicatives tell us what has already happened. They are concrete facts. They state fact. They, um, some examples. Uh, you are quiet. They were being careful. She is sleeping. They are uh, things that are uh, their facts. Um, I'm sure the teachers are going to correct me afterwards. And imperatives tell us what to do in the future. Or tell us commands. Be quiet. Be careful. Go to sleep. Please go to sleep. So what does this have to do? with how we live. Well, uh, a theologian called David Bryany said this, it's really helpful. If we are to live biblically between the times as we do, we must trust indicatives and obey imperatives. Biblical indicatives are another way of expressing the already, when the Bible says you are holy, while imperatives express the not yet, be holy. If we only trust in indicatives, it's going to lead to disobeying God's law because we, we know we're already saved and we can do whatever we want. And merely obeying imperatives will lead to legalism where we obey God's law in order to be saved. And grace in the gospel opposes both, he says. So we need to be careful not to mix those two things around. And it's helpful to know those things when you look at a passage from Scripture. And once we, we know to look for this pattern, 
and it's there in scripture, we see that we're never given a command by God without first being told why we're able to do it. It's always that order. Jesus has done this, so do that. Jesus has done that, now do this. We must never fall into the pattern of thinking, if I do this, then Jesus will do that for me. If I do that, then God will do this for me. That is not how the Bible works. That is how the Bible has been taken by people and misunderstood and abused. Do not listen to that sort of teaching. Listen to this from Colossians 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Listen to those indicatives. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Fact after fact after fact. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is being stored up for the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked with. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. It's saying we've been raised with Christ. We are united with him. And one day we will appear with him in glory. Those are all indicatives. Things that have already been certified to happen. And because of these facts, they can't be contested in any way. And you, as a result, you, cert you should live in a certain way. In a way that reveals Christ to others. It means you don't sleep around. It means you don't lose your temper. It means you don't make cruel jokes on, on other people's expense. It means that you don't use God's name in vain. It means that you don't use his name as a swear word. It means you don't lie. But we must always remember the order of things because of what God has done in us and through us. We want to do those things. We don't do those things in order to impress God. And we've been given the spirit in order to allow us to do those things. You see, we're only motivated to do something if we are able to do it. If we are told to do something and it's impossible, then we will give up. It's my responsibility at home to sort out our lawn in the back garden. But if I was told that I had to do it just by cutting it with, with a pair of, of nail scissors, I would never do it because it would be impossible and it would be too hard. It would be stupid. But if I've got a lawnmower in the shed, then although I don't always look forward to doing it, I know that I'm able to complete the task. I can do it. Or imagine you're in school and you're told that you have to read a certain book for tomorrow's lesson. But the copy you've got at home is missing pages and there's a power cut so you can't see what you're reading and you've not started the book yet and you know you've got to do it by tomorrow, then you're going to lose all hope 
of completing this task. You see, the tools and the circumstances that which we are given allow us to carry out responsibilities. And in the same way, if we try to live for Christ in our own strength or in order to gain his favor, our motives being wrong, we're going to lose all hope. We're going to grow frustrated and bitter. But knowing that we've been born again, transformed by the Spirit into the likeness of the Son, we're going to find it easier and easier to live for him. John goes on, if you've got your Bibles open, if he goes on to chapter five of this letter, he says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? He's saying, you can't do these things just by believing in yourself, by trying to be a better person. It's only by being born of God that you can uh, find his commandments uh, not burdensome. You see, faith results in fruit. When we are transformed by the love of Christ, his commandments do not seem a burden, but they seem a joy to carry out. So we have to live for him today. In light of what Christ has done, it is what every believer ought to long for. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be like him because he has done so much for me. And remember, we're not doing this in our own strength. We are new creations. We are not in this fight alone. The spirit is working in us and through us. And Christ is praying for us. And yet it comes to Monday morning. And you feel exactly the same as you did before you heard these promises. We see this disconnect between what we want to be like and what we are like. In many ways, this shows us that the Holy Spirit is at work. Because we're being made more aware of the different ways in which we are grieving God. And we can be comforted that one day we will be like him, as it said in that passage. One day we will be like Jesus. All of the things which frustrate us, that distract us and debilitate us, they will be no more. And we will be made like Jesus, sinless in every way. And there are believers who we admire from history, and they felt this very same frustration. John Newton, who wrote the third hymn we sung. This is what he said in a letter. I am not what I ought to be. How imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil and I, I, I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon shall I put off mortality and with mortality, all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and to Satan. And I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge by the grace of God, I am what I am. This is a man who uh, used to um, sail the seas, taking slaves from Africa over to the new world. And yet God spoke to him and transformed his life. And there's a wonderful reminder that in all of this, it's by the grace of God, isn't it? 
It's not through resolutions and trying to be a better person. It's only by the grace of God that we can be transformed. So today, as you're living today, you are living in light of the fact that something has already happened. The Lord Jesus Christ has already achieved so much for us on Calvary. But let us also look forward to the not yet, where we will see the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be made like him. And the the hymn we're about to sing speaks of this glorious future that awaits us. It says, when I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty, not my own, when I see you as you are, love you with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. We're going to stand and sing this wonderful song, which speaks of the fact that none of this has been achieved by us. And even if we know that this has been achieved by the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't even begin to grasp how much he has done for us. Let's stand and sing these wonderful words.